Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, how an Egyptian magician assassinated Moses, stole his identity, and hijacked the Exodus. The reason that there's so much discrepancy is that you have this very meek shepherd who stutters and is very humble and, you know, he seems really laid back. And then he goes up the mountain. When he comes back down from the mountain, He's not stuttering, he's shouting out commands, he's killing people, he's a completely different character. This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists, Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. Call them at 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at info at crimescenecleaners.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Rand Flemeth, the author of The Murder of Moses, is standing by, and I'm here at the Millennium Hotel in Cincinnati, just a few blocks away from the great American ballpark, home of the Cincinnati Reds, and my boys and I are getting ready to watch the Reds take on the visiting Houston Astros. Then tomorrow, after checkout, we'll head to Pittsburgh for the next leg of our journey. Now, speaking of baseball, uh, and before we discuss the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Did you know that baseball is actually mentioned in the Bible? It's true. In the Old Testament, in fact, the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, told you. All right. The life of Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, has always been shrouded in mystery. The Bible mentions no witnesses to his death, no funeral, and no indication of his burial place. And the story of Exodus paints a very contradictory picture of this man so important to both Judaism and Christianity. At times, he's depicted as a meek, stuttering figure, and at others, 
His tyrannical commands and fits of rage terrorized the children of Israel. And for the last years of his life, he chose to hide behind a veil. What's the explanation for these extreme shifts in character? As Rand Flemeth is about to reveal, the evidence points to something very sinister. Moses, he argues, was murdered and replaced by an imposter. Rand Flemeth is a researcher and co-author of The Atlantis Blueprint. He's appeared on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, NBC, CBC, and BBC, as well as numerous radio shows. He is the co-author, along with Rose Flemeth, of The Murder of Moses. Rand Flemeth, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me, Richard. Let's begin with a little... uh, a Bible lesson for, for those not intimately familiar with the story of Moses in the Bible being placed in a reed basket into the Nile and so forth. This, let's just quickly sort of recap that for the listener. Well, sure. Um, uh, as it is told in the Bible, uh, Moses is born, born during a time in which uh, the Hebrew people are being persecuted uh, and the, the firstborns are being killed. So uh, what his mother does is put him into a basket uh, and put him on the Nile, and the the basket floats up down the Nile to the uh, palace. And from there, uh, the daughter of the the pharaoh uh, sees the basket and retrieves it. Um, Unbeknownst to her, also following beside the basket is... uh, uh, Moses's older sister um, and, uh, and uh, Miriam, and she's um, uh, uh, she intercepts. Uh, she's there when the, when the when the daughter of the Pharaoh retrieves uh, Moses from the basket and offers to provide uh, uh, her own mother uh, as uh, as someone to to suckle the child. And so, uh, under that scenario. The real mother of uh, Moses in, in the biblical story um, is reunited with the child. So that's the story. And then uh, Moses is raised uh, in in the palace uh, as a very wealth, very wealthy. He's uh, he's and uh, well respected and raised more or less like an Egyptian. And he uh, becomes uh, very educated. Uh, and then one day he realizes, uh, it, it comes to him that he is in, in fact not really an Egyptian, but is actually a descendant of the Hebrew, the slaves that are around him. Uh, and that's a big shock for him. Right, right. He goes on yeah, to, uh, no. he's, in, he's enraged at the treatment of a Hebrew a slave and, and ends up killing an Egyptian. Yeah, he kills an Egyptian taskmaster and then he has to flee Egypt. And he flees Egypt and goes to what we would now call northern Saudi Arabia, Jordan area, it's called Midian. And there was an oasis where other um, uh, of his own people are. And he uh, becomes instructed by uh, the high priest there named Jethro. Um, And then he becomes a shepherd. Uh, and then he has this this experience of a burning bush speaking with God and has a mission to go to free the Jews in uh, Egypt, which he does. And then from there they go to the mountain of God 
uh, and uh, he receives uh, communications directly with God. That's the traditional story. Right, right. Now, we should, yeah. we should point out that when he is in exile, uh, he marries Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. Zipporah, yes, he does. And um, uh, Jethro uh, is a title. It means uh, His Excellency. Uh, in uh, Jewish folklore and also uh, other texts, he's no more norm- normally known as Ruel, which is um, a, a word uh, that means uh, God's friend. Uh, so. What we have in the story of Moses is is a, uh, a, a something that it goes from riches to rags, if you like, rather than rags to riches. Right. And and that's what uh, really got uh, Freud interested in the story and thinking that it wasn't probably true. He became he became convinced and uh, spent forty years of his life uh, secretly researching Moses. Uh, he became convinced that the story of this um, riches to rags story was really false, and that 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 it, that Moses was actually an Egyptian who had been raised, who had some contact with the temple of Heliopolis. Now, in the murder of Moses, we put forward, we, we take Freud's theory, and we we if we've tried to advance Freud's theory, theory Freud. This uh, book was published in uh, 1939 in, in English in September of 1939, so not a very good time to have a book coming out when uh, the Second World War is happening. Right. I just and wanted he to. Dies that, he died that month, too. Yeah, I so, just yeah. wanted to, to delve into Freud for a moment because. Sure. Uh, you know, this must have been, and it was, it was, it, he was, he was in great anguish, uh, you know, writing about this because here he is, a Jew. Writing us, writing this this article that denies the Jewish people ancestry to their greatest, their greatest, uh, you know, prophet, prophet. Moses. Uh, yes, it, he, he had he published them anonymously because he was afraid. Uh, you know, he did not he, he didn't publish it under his name. He published it anonymously. He was very afraid that um, that because he was living in Austria in the thirties. Uh, and uh, he was afraid that uh, if if he brought uh, the leader of the uh, of the Hebrew people into disrepute, it, it was not a good time for him to be doing that. Right, Austria was had been invaded by the Nazis in '38, and yes. if he offended, uh, you know, not only his fellow Jews but the Catholic Church, they were he perceived that they were the only thing. That they were the only ones standing between him and the Nazis, so he didn't want to tick off the Catholic Church. That's exactly it. He was afraid to speak, uh, so he kept his research secret um, uh, for uh, forty years. Um, and then, when he, as we open the book with uh, the uh, his daughter being at the Gestapo, and uh, that uh, when he realized that he could be losing his his daughter, uh, he decided he had to get out of Nazi Germany, and uh, through the help of the American ambassador, he, he was able to get out. And from there, he, he and his family moved to London. And that's when he decided to uh, take up uh, the, the story that had haunted him uh, for 40 years. And he called it, uh, it was an unlaid ghost for him, is what he said. 
and he, he and then he produced this book called uh, Moses and Monotheism. And he said the kernel of his thought was, the, the very essence of his thought was that monotheism was actually an Egyptian uh, religion uh, practiced in the, uh, the uh, temple of Heliopolis. And Freud thought, oh, well, uh, if, if Moses had been raised as an Egyptian, he might have gone to that temple and learned about monotheism. But he could never establish that there was any real contact between Moses and, uh, and that, that temple, which right. was so important. We'll circle back to, to Freud in a moment and get further into his hypothesis that, that um, there were two, uh, two Moses, Moseses, I guess you would say, yes. one of whom was murdered. And we'll talk about who the culprit might have been and the motive and so forth. But this idea that um, Moses was uh, murdered, that um, Moses was an Egyptian, this even goes back further. You point out that uh, the great Elizabethan writer uh, Christopher Marlowe also believed this to be the case. How did Marlowe find out about this? Uh, we don't really know. Marlowe came out with this idea that Moses was a magician, and not a particularly uh, talented one, but because the Israelites were so um, uneducated about Egyptian music, ma magic, he believed that uh, he, Moses was able to do acts of track, trick, magic tricks that persuaded uh, the people that he was uh, connected to God. And um, <clears throat> Marlowe said, said this to it, and, and an Elizabethan spy was there working for Elizabeth I, and they wrote down what had happened and, and they charged him, they brought him in because this was blasphemy. And um, then they had a, a meeting about it, the Privy Council, uh, um, Marlowe wasn't there, but he, he, something happened and they decided. They let him go, the next morning he's assassinated. Marlowe's assassinated, he got a knife right through the eye. And that was the end of that story. Uh, so we don't know what Marla was going to say. Uh, isn't And the idea of of there being something a little odd about Moses kind of drifted away. Uh, they, did, they did successfully cover that up. It was Goethe, the the um, the, the German philosopher, who really uh, be, was the first to propose that Moses had been murdered and replaced by somebody else. Freud uh, didn't really take up this uh, this uh, side of the story. Um, in in Goethe's uh, account, there uh, he he felt as if that Moses was just incompetent, basically, and uh, he thought that they that people got fed up with following him, wandering around the desert, uh, and killed him and replaced him with somebody else. Now. Um, these things lay dormant until um, Freud took them up in his research, and he also came across uh, an Egyptian Egyptologist named Erst Selen, who who proposed that there was two Moses as well. And the thing about the reason that, that there's so in, there's so much discrepancy is that you have this very meek 
uh, shepherd uh, who stutters and is very humble and uh, you know he's, he's, he seems really laid back uh, and then he goes up the mountain when he comes back down from the mountain my, he's not stuttering. He's shouting out commands. He's killing people. He's uh, 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 he's completely different character. Right. When you say he's killing people, he ordered the, uh, yeah, the death of the something death of three thousand. Right. Yeah. Right. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, you know, there's yeah. some, it's interesting. I was just reading um, uh, an article online by uh, William Desmond entitled mm-hmm. The Murder of Moses. And he writes here, Freud's hypothesis that Moses was killed during a desert rebellion was based partially on the biblical text. And uh, let me just read here. Uh, Those who felt themselves kept in tutelage or who felt dispossessed revolted and then threw off the burden of a religion that had been forced on them. The savage Semites took their destiny into their own hands and did away with their tyrant. The account of the wandering in the wilderness, which might stand for the time of Moses' rule, describes a series of grave revolts against his authority, which by uh, Jehovah's command were suppressed with savage chastisement. It is easy to imagine that one of these revolts came to another end than the text admits. So there is, there is biblical uh, support, perhaps, availed, uh, no pun intended, but there is a, yes. a, a reference to perhaps a rebellion that resulted in Moses' death because he was perceived as being, what, incompetent or tyrannical? Uh, well, Goethe thought he was incompetent. Uh, Selen thought he was, um, uh, that, that the people were just tired of his rule. Uh, that they that they were, uh, you know, 
so Selin was 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 the one who said yes. They just got fed up with him and killed him because he he wasn't getting them to the promised land as as promised, if you like. Right, forty years wandering around yeah. in a not a huge area when you look on a map. Why forty years? Well, uh, again, uh, uh, you know, certainly uh, uh, Goethe didn't think that there was 40 years. Uh, and if you look at it, you know, the, all that can be traveled in a couple of months. You know, it's not a the distance from uh, from Egypt to uh, the promised land is not so far as to uh, require 40 years to get there. Right. So that that idea of exaggerated timeline was very important uh, for us in the, in the murder of Moses, because otherwise we don't really have an opportunity for our, our main villain in this, who is this Jethro character, or more no, commonly known as Ruel. So the idea, again, coming back to this idea of, of Moses being an Egyptian, perhaps, and the idea yeah. that the name Moses, you point out in, in the book, Moses in Egyptian means what? Son of. It's like uh, MacDonald or um, any any Mac. Mac means son of. Uh, it, in the Egyptian language, Moses is a is at the end of the uh, of the word. So you have Tut Moses or Ramses. Uh, it all means a son of Ra, son of Tut. Uh, so when it would be a very unfamiliar and odd thing to say, oh, um, my name is son of. That's what that's what Moses meant. And um, so, th- th- yeah, the idea that uh, that Moses was the son of somebody important uh, is 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 what uh, we've uh, got into. And when we when we get into the Roman and Egypt and Egyptian sources, um, uh, the, specifically the Egyptian uh, uh, Egyptologist, I mean historian Manetho, he uh, he sa- he says that uh, Moses was originally called Osirsef, which is a combination of Osiris and Seth, the last name of Joseph. And the Romans, uh, uh, in their account of um, uh, of Moses, all believed that uh, Moses was the son of Joseph. So, like, Joseph really was a rags-to-riches story. Right. You know, but isn't there a bit of a time discrepancy there? Because... I mean, the the the, Jew, the Hebrews were in Israel for what four hundred years, supposedly. Well, that's uh, that's that's the thing that uh, both um, uh, Goethe and I and we do a challenge, because when you look at the Deuteronomy, for example, when Moses comes down from uh, to speak to all the. Uh, uh, tribes of Israel. He speaks to Reuben, who supposedly is supposed to have been dead for 430 years, and says, "Oh, too bad he's sick. He's not here, uh, but he's still alive." So, like, either Reuben is 430 years old, or, or, or the time scale is is exaggerated. And we believe the time scale is exaggerated, and it was exaggerated for a purpose, which is the cover up uh, uh, the murder, because the people who were writing. Uh, certain parts of the Bible uh, were um, the Levites and and Levi, Levi and Ruel were in this uh, in a conspiracy to kill and replace Moses. So the Levites, 
they uh, changed the text and inserted this time, this 430 years, uh, to disassociate uh, Moses from Joseph. Because Levi hated Joseph. I mean, the big story in Genesis is the, is the, is the conflict between uh, Joseph, uh, the favored son of Israel, who uh, is a dreamer, and, then is, uh, and, and Levi and his other brothers, older brothers, um, throwing him in the pit and then ultimately selling him off to uh, slavery in, in, in Egypt. But, but uh, Joseph arises, uh, arises up and becomes a very important person in, 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 in Egypt. So the, 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 it's important for our, in the murder of Moses, we put forward the, the idea that the Roman sources and the Egyptian sources are more accurate than, the, than what has been put into uh, parts of the Bible that the Levite scribes uh, wrote. Uh, what is it called? Uh, the priestly tradition in, in, in source documentation uh, of, of, of Bible studies. Right. Just coming back to Moses' name again. So, as you say, yes. if it's an Egyptian word that means son of, you wouldn't yes. refer to someone as son of without, right. you know. But it's also been argued that Moses is very similar to a Hebrew word which means to be drawn out of water. Yes, that that is certainly true. That the, the sound of the of the name of Moses in in Hebrew does have the the the, the meaning of drawn out. Yes, so that's true. Could that not perhaps sort of reconcile that the argument that he was in fact Hebrew? Oh, well, in our in our account of it, he is the third son of Joseph, so his father is Hebrew. His mother was uh, Azanath. If you look in the Bible, uh, uh, Joseph uh, gets is married to Azanath. She is the priestess of the temple of Heliopolis, and uh, her father is the high priest of Heliopolis. And Heliopolis is where uh, 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 Freud was trying to get Moses. So in our theory, uh, Moses was raised in the Temple of Heliopolis, where monotheism was a secret religion, uh, which had gone undercover after uh, uh, the Akhenaten experience. Uh, Akhenaten, centuries earlier, had uh, put forward the idea of monotheism and had... um, introduced that to the Egyptians, and he had the, the bad fortune of having this uh, explosion, volcano explosion uh, off of, uh, in Egypt, I mean in Greece, the, the, the uh, Terra expl- volcano, and <clears throat> all these terrible things happened, so all the Egyptians turned against monotheism, except for the, the, uh, the, the priests of Heliopolis, who turned, then turned it into a secret religion. Now, this is certainly Freud's theory. Freud's theory was that there was a secret monotheism in the temple of Heliopolis. But Freud couldn't find any evidence that Moses was actually in the temple of, uh, of Heliopolis. But in our theory, and in the theory of, uh, uh, of the idea that Moses is actually the third son of Joseph, born after Joseph himself had died, and uh, and raised in the temple of Heliopolis. His grandfather was the high priest. So if there was any secrets to be known in the temple of Heliopolis, it would 
could easily go to the grandson of, uh, of the high priest, who was Moses. And just one, one final point on the, the, the sort of the biblical narrative that I want to tie up before we move on to uh, Jethro and so forth. And that is the idea that he was placed, his mother, fearing that he would be murdered by, uh, at the order of uh, uh, Ramses, or at the order of the, uh, the Pharaoh, rather. Um, he was placed in this wicker basket and uh, placed in the Nile. Uh, the idea is that, that this was this was an old story that had been sort of recycled. So where did the story originally come from? Well, uh, this is a, 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 a very a, thousands of years, old, a couple thousand years earlier. Uh, uh, Z- uh, Zorgon was a, uh, a, a person in uh, who became a king in the Mesopotamia area, and he uh, was a uh, he. He he had to flee, and he was put into a, a basket, and then he was uh, uh, picked up by a, a gardener who raised him in his own family. And it's only when he grows up that he realizes, oh, I'm actually the, the prince, I'm the king. And then he does become king. So it is a very much a traditional uh, rags to riches. Uh, he was royal. He had to to go underground to survive. He, 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 he was raised by not his real parents, and then he realizes who he is and becomes king, and he is the king. So that story uh, was told, was, was very frequent in Babylon. And uh, when, when the Hebrew people were uh, expelled to, uh, out of uh, Israel and came into Babylon during the captivity, they would have come into contact to, with, uh, with that story. And they basically did, uh, they decided, the problem that they had was that they couldn't, the, the problem that, 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 that the people had was that Moses was so educated, so Egyptian-like, and they had to explain that equality. So in, in order to maintain a, uh, a Hebrew uh, heritage, they had to, to, to cut and paste the story of uh, Zargon and put it into uh, the Moses story. So it was, a, it was an attempt to uh, move uh, Moses from the house of Joseph, where he really was born, according to Roman and Egyptian sources, uh, into the Levite, uh, house of Levi, which is the Levite priests who were the scribes and who were the ones who were telling the story. So uh, we believe that, uh, that, 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 that that story of, uh, uh, of the, the basket and everything was just uh, taken from uh, uh, Babylon. Babylonian mythology. Uh, let's turn our attention then uh, to Jethro. So again, just to recap, after uh, M- Moses is angered by this Egyptian taskmaster beating a, a Hebrew slave, he murders that Egyptian and then flees uh, to what is now uh, northern Saudi Arabia or Jordan, uh, where he uh, meets uh, Jethro and ends up marrying Jethro's daughter Zipporah. Uh, there's actually there's another there's a story of, of um, uh, there's two versions of this from what I understand. One is that um, Moses is overheard confessing the crime. Uh, it's reported back to Jethro, who is 
I guess, kind of a, an assistant or a, a scribe in the Pharaoh's court and, and has Moses thrown into a pit for something like 10 years and assuming he'll, he'll die, but unbeknownst to him, his daughter Zipporah takes pity on Moses and, and she's constantly feeding and nourishing him. And then at the, 10, at the end of 10 years, uh, Jethro is amazed that Moses is still alive and then he consents to allow him to marry his daughter. Yeah, that is that is certainly the, uh, the the folklore story of the sapphire rod, which was supposedly a rod that uh, God gave to uh, Adam, and Adam passed it on as a symbol of the leadership uh, of the Hebrew people all the way down through the through through the course of time, and then ultimately uh, when it, when Joseph dies, and Joseph has it, and when Joseph dies, um, at Ruel. Uh, or Jethro, if you like, uh, so wanted this that he stole it and took it to Medina. And then he, he um, uh, put it in his garden in a, in a uh, and anybody who wanted to marry his daughter could go into the garden, and if they could get this rod out of there without dying, which almost nobody did, they would could have her as as their wife. And but so Moses, having been raised in the. Uh, amongst the Egyptians and was trained as an Egyptian magician, as was Ruel. I can go into why he became a, a magician a little bit later. But So when Moses comes into the garden, he knows how this is working. It's kind of like uh, uh, the King Arthur's Excalibur. You right. know, if he, only the right person can pull it out. And in this case, Moses knows the trick, so he just pulls it out. And then that's when, uh, in this folklore, that... Uh, 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 Ruel allows uh, uh, he, he gives his wife, he gives his daughter to to uh, to Moses to to be married to. Okay, so um, then of course um, we, we know the story. Moses returns to Egypt. He issues these uh, uh, warnings to Pharaoh to let his people go. The uh, the curses, of course, are, uh, fall on Egypt. Eventually, the Pharaoh relents. And Moses leads uh, the Hebrews into the wilderness uh, en route to the promised land for 40 years. Now, uh, we need to talk about uh, why Moses would have been murdered. Now, again, the theory is that there was anger among the, uh, the, the followers. They were sick and tired of being uh, led around by their nose for 40 years. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the Erselin uh, and, uh, and uh, Goethe's theory. Yeah. Right. But the other theory is that uh, Ruel decides to take matters into his own hands. Uh, yeah, so we have to understand what Ruel's motive is here. Ruel has an extremely noble bloodline. His father is Essa, the first son of Isaac. Isaac is the founder of the Jews. And he gives his, he, his wife, Rebecca, gives birth to twins. The firstborn is Essa. This, become, this is Ruel's father. The secondborn is Jacob, who later becomes known as Israel. So um, Ruel can trace his ancestry f from his father through Isaac to Abraham. His mother 
was an, uh, a person named Bazemuth, who um, was the daughter of Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's first son. So uh, Ruel is the first person on planet Earth to have both an, the founder of the Arab people, Ishmael, and the founder of the Jews, Isaac, as his grandfathers. And so he felt as if his bloodline was, was, uh, was particularly pure. Moreover, what happened was, Esau was the, Esau was the favorite of Isaac, um, but Rebecca, that is his wife, favored um, Jacob, the younger, the younger of the twins. And a, 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 when the time of blessing came, she persuaded Jacob to impersonate his older twin and gain the uh, uh, the blessing and becoming the leader of the of the Hebrew people. Right, Isaac was very what, old and feeble and and uh, couldn't see very well. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, they they pulled a fast one on poor old Isaac and Jacob impersonated Esau and and received the blessing. That's right. And so um, Ruel lost his uh, inheritance, which he felt he was the most uh, noble bloodline in the world, uh, because of his uncle's treachery uh, of impersonating uh, uh, Ruel's father. So to return the favor, in a sense, uh, he wants to imp- ultimately kill Moses and impersonate him and then take back what is his, which is the leadership of the Hebrew people. The, this, the, sim- the symbol of the Safra rod in J- Jewish folklore is, this, is exactly what uh, Jethro is seen to be having wanted, and, and, and he felt as if he deserved that because he had lost it through, tra- through impersonation, and then he regains it through impersonation. And just on a side note, did Jethro not become sort of the the father of the Druze religion? Uh, he's a descend. He's a, he's an ancient ancestor of theirs. Uh, they regard him as one of their founding fathers. Yes. Back with more of my conversation with Rand Flemeth, co-author of The Murder of Moses, when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. It's been really cool and wet this spring up here in southwestern Ontario, north of Toronto. And my two boys have colds. My mother-in-law has a cold. The mighty Aphrodite just got over a cold. I think the combination of the cold, damp weather and not getting enough sleep often leads to a cold. And then there's dear old dad, me, working late, getting up early. I just don't seem to get run down. I have more energy than I know what to do with. And I'm pretty sure it's my daily glass of Formula 13 tea from GetTheTea.com. I can't get enough of the pomegranate. You really ought to check out this amazing organic caffeine-free herbal tea from GetTheTea. One cold, refreshing 8-ounce glass every morning provides a gentle cleanse. And a healthy digestive system means more energy, a clear mind, and a happy outlook. What more can I say? Now it's your turn. To order your Life Change Tea or Formula 13 Tea, pomegranate or peppermint, go to getthetea.com. And as a listener of this podcast, you get a special bonus. When making your first purchase, enter the code UNLIMITED and your first order ships for free. Get on board and discover the amazing qualities of Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Teas, only available at getthetea.com. 
Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Rand Flemeth, the co-author of The Murder of Moses, is here. Was Ruel slash Jethro, was, was his motivation twofold? I mean, he wanted vengeance uh, for his, uh, for his um, father, father Esau, but also, yeah. I mean, did he genuinely tire of Moses' seeming incompetence and wanted to deliver the people to the Promised Land? Uh, well, uh, here's how we take our take on this: is that uh, that uh, the first Moses, the initial Moses, as being uh, Joseph's uh, son, uh, born after Joseph had been killed, uh, never knew his father. Only knew as a father figure. His only father figure was his grandfather, uh, who was the high priest of Heliopolis. He um, his his motivation. Uh, this this. First Moses uh, was very much in, on line with Akhenaten and that kind of thing. He wasn't no no animal sacrifices, more of a pacifist, kind of a hippie-like character, right? Not really um, going out and being with the animals in in the wilderness. Um, also, you know, uh, doing uh, things for Jethro. He was kind of a a. a, a um, uh, he had the story of monotheism, which which Ruel didn't have, because Ruel, although he was raised, he he was educated in Egypt, he didn't get to have the inner secrets because he wasn't a fully Egyptian. But but the uh, high priest of, of Heliopolis, in the case of Moses, thought that this was it was his grandson, so he revealed that secret to him. So when uh, Jethro, uh, Jethro learned of the secret of monotheism, uh, he, he decided to take that over. And he thought he could do it by uh, murdering Moses and then impersonating him. And, and, and that, for him, was uh, poetic justice in a sense because he, uh, you know, this is, this is the way he lost his leadership and this is the way he's going to get it back, by impersonation. And he's able to do it because of the masks. There's two masks involved for Moses. One is when he comes down from the uh, the mountain of God, his face is so shiny from supposed from the interaction with uh, Yahweh that uh, his face glows like it's gold. It glows, and all the people uh, look away immediately because they think that even the reflection of Yahweh will strike them dead. So this is a really effective mask in terms of uh, of, of people not looking too closely at who is the really who is the person behind the mask because if you're afraid to look at somebody's face or you'll di- or you will die you're not going to look at that face then to calm them he puts a veil over his face oh and now they they they're they're calm but they can't see his face and nobody sees his face for the rest of his life except his inner circle and one by one all of them are killed off hmm now, yeah. uh, this is kind of an, also an interesting point, too, and, and that is there's this horrible stereotype that has been, you know, around for, for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, and that is, you know, the idea that, that Jews had horns. 
uh, horrible, horrible, but it was based on kind of a mistranslation, I believe, of the Bible, where what the Bible was talking about were these rays of light coming off of Moses' countenance, and uh, yeah. it was mistranslated as horns. Yeah, that was a mistranslation of the uh, an early, an early. Uh, it's called the Vulgate uh, uh, Latin, uh, uh, translation of the Bible. Yeah, it, <clears throat> Michelangelo adopted that uh, with the horns on them. Uh, even the Statue of Liberty in the United States, which is uh, uh, reminiscent of Moses, because she has those stars coming out of uh, on, and she's holding the tablets as well. All these, this, this idea of a shining presence was very, very important in the Middle East. Uh, the, the notion that much further back in time, well before that, that, that there was a sh- the the gods that that uh, of the Egyptians and the gods of the Sumerians, this notion of a shining presence uh, of the gods is is is, is very prominent. So you get. Um, Ruel cashing in on that and uh, uh, and using it as a means of uh, preventing people seeing his face. So how did uh, Ruel do away with Moses? Do we know? We don't know. Um, uh, we do know prob- probably that he was beheaded um, because I, we believe that uh, uh, Moses' uh, uh, skull and bones were put into the uh, Ark of the Covenant. That was the real purpose of the Ark of the Covenant uh, was to hide Ruel's uh, magical paraphernalia plus uh, the skull and bones. It's important to understand that in those days, uh, uh, possessing uh, uh, the skull of a prophet uh, was was an important means by which you could communicate with uh, the uh, the other world. If you possessed the the skull of uh, of uh, of, a, of a prophet, then you could communicate and command um, demons and and angels to to do your bidding. So this is one of the reasons why, uh, and we believe the real reason why uh, Moses went back to Egypt wasn't to, to free his people; it was to collect Joseph's bones. Because Ruel had no idea where Joseph's bones were buried. Joseph, don't forget, is just gigantic in the whole uh, story for, for, for the Hebrew people. He's the big hero. He's the one who saves them from the drought. He's the guy who, 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 who was thought dead and then came back to life and, as, a, as a viceroy of, the, of the, uh, the pharaoh and gave them land, gave them everything they needed. So he's a, he's a huge hero. And uh, for him, uh, anything anything connected with Joseph was positive as far as the, the people were concerned. So uh, Joseph, uh, so getting a hold of Joseph's of bones was a problem for Rel because he wouldn't know where Joseph's bones were buried. But but because uh, Moses was Joseph's son third son, he could go to Egypt, he could go to the Pharaoh, he could walk right in the door, he could go right up to the Pharaoh. That's not a big problem for me. Anybody else, he wrote, trying to do that would be killed. He goes in because he's regarded as an Egyptian, he's got Egyptian education, he can speak Egyptian, and he asks, where are my father's bones? And they, of course, 
to show him where the bones are, and he takes them, puts them into an ark, and break takes them back to Medea. And that was the real purpose uh, uh, of uh, sending uh, uh, Moses to, to Egypt. It wasn't to, to free the people. They had already left. It was more about getting the bones of Joseph. That's, that's what we have concluded in Murder of Moses. Hmm. And... Uh, Ruel, how did he learn um, magic? As you as you mentioned, he he wasn't uh, Egyptian, although he was an Ish, Ish, he was uh, an Ishmaeli, I guess. So he they were, as you point out, they were a favored trading partner of Egypt. He certainly would have been welcome to, I guess, an education in Egypt. But would he have been yeah, taught how, magic? How about- yeah, how that works is was this. Um, his father, uh, Isa, um, uh, after Jacob had left uh, and with the blessing and gone to uh, gone, Isa uh, conquered a land named Seir, which he renamed Edom, and it's and he be, and all his sons were princes of of Edom. They were Edomite princes. Now, in those at that particular time. Uh, Edom, uh, although it was an independent country, it was under the uh, uh, the Egyptian Empire, and the the pharaohs uh, had a had a policy of taking the sons of uh, their uh, small uh, outer colonies and bringing them to Egypt and training them as magicians, giving them a, a sense of what's the, what's the real life they hear, like this is civilization, you're out in the wilderness, and we'll, we'll, we'll take up your sons and we'll train them up to be uh, uh, Egypt, proper Egyptian magicians. And it also was held. They also had that as a, uh, they had help, they had them as hostages in case somebody rebels. If somebody rebels, uh, that's not going to happen if their son is is in Egypt. So it was a dual policy. One was to uh, have have a hostage uh, for all these uh, uh, colonies, and it was also a way of raising up uh, everybody around him, so that, around uh, Egypt, so that they could appreciate how great Egypt was. So Ruel was taken into. Uh, the House of Life, what it was called, and was raised up as uh, as a priest there, a priest and a magician. There was no distinction between priest and magician. The, the distinction between a priest and a magician in Egypt was a priest was practicing magic for the royal family. A magician was just practicing it for everybody else. So there's they're the same people. They're doing the same thing. It's who you're serving that determines whether you're a priest or whether you're you're called a magician. Ruel was both a priest and a magician. He did serve the the pharaohs, and he was, and certainly uh, so he had all the inside knowledge. But he didn't wasn't able to take that final step and know the secret of monotheism. That was something that uh, that, that that the Egyptian priests were not willing to give to somebody. Uh, who, who, like uh, Ruel, was had no Egyptian blood. Remember, in our theory, uh, Joseph's mother, Asenath, is Egyptian. She's a she's a she's a priestess of the uh, of the Temple of Heliopolis. So they uh, they reg- uh, the high priest, her father, regarded Moses as a legitimate uh, person to receive the secret. And and what kind of magic would Ruel uh, have performed? I mean, what 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 kind of power did he have? 
Well, uh, he he knew he could do acts of illusion. Um, uh, puppetry is one of that's very interesting. Um, in in Egypt, a puppetry wasn't a, a thing for entertainment. It was actually used uh, politically. Uh, when when the uh, a, a town came that there was it wasn't certain who the next pharaoh should be the priests would uh line up all the candidates and they would walk by this guy one priest who was holding a a, a pole and at the top of the pole there was a little god like bird and inside that that pole was a string and when the right candidate came along the one that the priests wanted this person holding the pole would pull that string and the head would nod and that would become the new pharaoh so the idea that poet so in this actually happened this is some of the some of the transitions in in occurred as a result of the manipulation of puppetry by the by the priests now in the story of Moses, we get into the the case of uh, when he's uh, when they they're first attacked uh, on the way to the promised land by Amalek, and nobody has ever been able to explain why Amalek even attacked uh, the the Israelites. Amalek again uh, was a, a, a nephew of Ruel, but he was an illegitimate uh, nephew. That is, he wasn't. Uh, his his brother, his oldest brothers, had had a relationship with a concubine, and that and the result was Amalek. So, as far as Ruel was concerned, who was really upset with the bloodline, this guy was not worth anything. And so, when the uh, uh, the Israelites were were getting close to Edom, they come into Edom and they're in it. We believe that that's where the mountain of God was. Uh, it, it, well, they're in there. Moses goes goes up the mountain, and then 40 days later, he comes down, this, this changed character. But before that happens, there's an attack upon the Israelites by the Amaleks, because Amalek understood, and he himself had been uh, gotten an Egyptian uh, education, that if... Ruel could use the Israelites to conquer Edom, then he would be dead. So that's the motivation. So while the problem that, that the Israelites had was that Moses had been gone for so long, everybody assumed he was dead. So what happens is during the battle, Moses appears on a hill with uh, uh, two people, on Aaron and Hur, which we believe to be uh, uh, Levi and Ruel, uh, were operating a full-sized, um, man-sized uh, uh, puppet. And as the, the, the battle was going the way of the Israelites, Moses' rod would be lifted, and they saw him up there, they saw his shiny face, and they were inspired to fight. He's not dead. We're going to fight. We're going to fight back. And... So that was a case in my in our interpretation of what happened, of a puppetry being used, uh, an act of illusion, to uh, motivate the Israelites to repel the Amaleks, and uh, that's 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 one example of of the uh, uh, of his uh, using illusion. 
another, of course, is the ventriloquism as well. Um, uh, later in the story, um, when Ruel decides to leave, uh, he reinvents himself as another uh, Egyptian uh, a magician called Balaam. And uh, Balaam uh, has this famous uh, interaction with, a, with these uh, people from Moab. The Israelites have to go through their territory, but the Moab don't want them to come. And so the, the king of Moab sends uh, emissaries to, uh, to, to the Israelites saying, uh, you know, don't come because we'll kill you. And they, then they seek to have Balaam uh, to come to tell them what to do. But Balaam doesn't want to, Balaam, who is actually just another persona of Ruel, doesn't want to go into Moab at that particular time because there's other people there who might recognize him who were passing through. So he delays by, by having this uh, talking donkey thing. So what happens is uh, the, 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 the ass, uh, uh, it, it, it it's it's in the Bible, and there's there's this interaction between Balaam and and the ass where uh, they're fighting each other, and the and, and the donkey is talking, and that's just ventriloquism. And then once once the, it's the people have been convinced that the donkey is real, then it's transferred to this angel that only Balaam can see, and then the then the, all the conversations are between Balaam and this angel. And that's all just ventriloquism, is what uh, what what we're saying. Right. And that's something that was taught in Egypt. So, uh, Ruel then ultimately uh, leads the the the, uh, the Hebrews into the the Promised Land. What becomes him? Uh, and he and he, I guess he dies at a ripe old age. We're told Moses died at 120. So that was Ruel that that uh, died of course he wasn't allowed to to cross the jordan and go into israel but uh yeah well uh, uh we don't accept these long time periods i mean all these days time things are exaggerated um but yeah no what happens to roel is first of all he decides it's time to get out to get the gig is up uh levian is not going along with it uh, anymore so he decides to become this Balaam character and he basically paves the way for them to pass through uh, uh, Moab to the promised land then he then well disappears and he ends up in Galilee um, uh, where he's there for uh, until he dies now in Galilee there is a uh, there's a shrine there to him uh, and every uh, April, um, the, the Druze, or, or they call themselves the Tawhid, go up there on the 25th of April uh, as a pilgrimage to, uh, to Ruel. And uh, he, he <clears throat> stayed in, and lived in, in, in Galilee at the end of his life. And in our uh, account of what's happening, he passes on these skills, the Egyptian skills, uh, uh, to his descendants, and they pass them on all the way down, right down to the time of Jesus. So, uh, and even maybe past that time. So, it's, uh, Roel is um, uh, considered uh, a founding father of the Druze. Uh, they consider, uh, th- th- which is a secret religion, incidentally. They um, nobody uh, can read their sacred texts unless you're born a Druze. 
uh, and only, uh, and again, it's more respectful to call them Tahi because that's what they they call themselves, which means, in a sense, oneness. Uh, they believe that their religion is a uh, culmination of all the uh, monotheistic uh, religions that have come before them, um, and and it's I would call it like uh, bedrock monotheism in the sense that they believe that God isn't outside the universe. God is the universe. We are all part of God. All of us, everything, and all the dimensions that are above us that we cannot perceive are also part of God. So the idea of uh, being anywhere in the universe suddenly uh, is not difficult to comprehend to the Druze who believe that we are every atom that exists in reality and everything that is seen and unseen is all part of God. There's a super oneness. It's monotheism gone to uh, what I call bedrock monotheism. The murder of Moses, how an Egyptian magician assassinated Moses, stole his identity, and hijacked the Exodus. Rand, how do people get a copy of the book? Uh, well, it's in, it's in bookstores now, or you can order it uh, uh, online. Uh, yeah, at any of the stores. Amazon has it, of course. Terrific. Rand, yeah. thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Richard. Okay, before the boys and I head on down to the Great American Ballpark, I'll be right back with a few words about what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet coming up next part two of our ongoing series on false flags until then i'm richard serrett so long for now a new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 